Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a relationship with Christ where you could substitute Him for the, those romantic objects of love? Not in the same sense, certainly, but in that kind of drawn intimacy. Well, I want to preach to you today a, a sermon about holiness that has nothing to do with action. <laughs> because, because we too quickly go to action, application types of sermons when it comes to holiness. We immediately jump, oh, holiness, that's something I can do for God. i got to straighten up my life, stop sinning. That's holiness. Well, that's part of holiness, and we're going to get to that. Hold on. But there's a larger context. There's a deeper reason. There is a greater power that, that makes holiness come about. Let's not flip into the automatic, as, as our text uh, for the day says, Romans 14, 17. The writer of Romans is saying, uh, in the preceding um, um, uh, dialogue, he's saying, you know, uh, you eat this, you, you, I know you're, you're puzzled about whether you should eat this or eat that. And, and, and in, in verse 17, he says, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that larger context. Let's, let's actually have a sermon where I, I, I don't tell you to go out and do something. Now, I know you like those sermons. All right, okay, give me something to do. Yeah, I'll go out and do it this week. All right, mission accomplished. Because, again, it gives us that control, doesn't it? And we love feeling that we have that control and our job is done. But, again, romance is not about being in control. Romance is about appreciation. Romance is about the awareness of who the other person is. That's what romance is. And so, just for a little while, let's give up that automatic, we've got to accomplish it for God, that's what holiness is. Because if we don't, we will miss the more profound and more significant aspect of holiness. And we will be simply trapped in another spiritual accomplishment for God. I heard a cute story last week, I thought it was, was kind of cool about uh, a guy who was kind of missing the point. Um, he's an old farmer, and he's standing out in his yard, and this salesman's talking to him, trying to sell him something. And, and uh, he's a sheep farmer, and, and the salesman's delivering the, the sales talk, and, and the farmer says, that, excuse me just a minute, I've got to do something. And he just whistled. I mean, I'm one of those, I don't know how people do that. that I never could do that. But whistles just like real loud. And the salesman looks out and sees in the pasture this dog who up to this time has just been sitting there and this dog upon the sound of that whistle springs into action rounds up the entire what's that what do you call a sheep group herd thank you i was going to say flock and i'm going i have my flock okay entire herd of sheep and ushers this herd i mean runs this 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 herd of sheep toward this pen gets them there the dog goes around to the front of the of the of the sheep herd goes to the gate, opens the gate with his paw, shoves the gate open with his nose, goes around, herds all of the sheep into the pen, comes back, shuts the gate with his nose, latches it with his paw. Salesman says, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Farmer says, yep, taught him everything he knows. Took me a long time to teach that dog how to do that, but I did it. 
And the salesman says, that is absolutely phenomenal. What's, what's the dog's name? And the salesman says, name? What's his name? And well, he's, he's, he's stops to think for a while, and he thinks, and he thinks, and he finally says, uh, well, I, I, uh, uh, what's, what's the name of that flower that uh, it's, it's, a, it's red and good smelling and has a long stem, got thorns on the stem? And the salesman says, Rose? He says, yeah, that's, that's it. And he turns to his wife and he says, hey, Rose, what do we call that dog? <laughs> now, what's wrong with this picture? He's accomplished a great deal, but he's lost something, hasn't he? He's avoided what, what Jesus would call the, the weightier issues, the more important issues. And that's what all of us do when we run to action instead of to intimacy. That's what all of us do when we think holiness is about behavior and not about intimacy. And so what we have to do is we actually have to interrupt the process and say, wait a minute. Let's just stop and think about this. Let's just stop and, and esteem God. Let's just stop and worship God. Otherwise, we'll never get to know Him intimately. We'll just go on with the routine. I read a story. I get this uh, magazine called Training, and there's a great story in this uh, magazine. It's a man management magazine, and uh, um, it's, a, it's a true story about Martin um, Rutt, who is, who, who is a, an, like an international consultant. I mean, big conglomerate guy goes in, $10,000 a talk, you know, he gives a talk. And, but when he was starting out, um, he was making a, a presentation, trying to make a presentation to this huge corporation to uh, sell them on a consulting project. Finally got an appointment with a CEO. On the day that he had his appointment, he, he uh, uh, was ushered into this huge office, and the CEO's just, just tearing over his desk. I mean, he's got his sleeves rolled up, very busy. He just hardly looks up. He says, sit down. And so, so Martin sits down, and uh, he looks up and says, you got 20 minutes, and goes back to his work. Well, Martin doesn't say a word. And, the guy, and the, after the few, a few minutes pass, you know, and, and the guy looks up and says, I said you have 20 minutes, goes back to his work. Martin doesn't say a word again. Finally, some more time passes in silence, and the guy looks up and says, look, what, the, the clock is ticking. Why aren't you saying anything? And Martin says, hey, they're my 20 minutes. I'll use them any way I want. <laughs> the guy burst out laughing. And an hour and a half later, he got the job. Now, what happened there? He interrupted the normal routine long enough to become known. And that's what we must do with God. We must not automatically assume we know what holiness is. We must even less automatically assume holiness is something we can do. Because there is one holy one. That's God. There is one who is righteous. That's God. And so there, therefore, holiness is not something we do. Holiness is someone who becomes apparent in us. That's theologically accurate. Now let's, let's talk about this, this holy God who is of a tender side, has a tender aspect. As a matter of fact, if you'll turn, if you have your scriptures with you, you might want to turn to Hosea chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. And let me read to you a little bit of a language that we actually read in the call to worship this morning. It says, this is the Lord talking, 
Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms. Notice the crossover vocabulary between what God did and what humans do. The, 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 the metaphorical bridge that God allows us to, to have the tenderness of feelings toward Him that we have toward one another. It says this, I took them in my arms, but they did not know I healed them. I led them, the Hebrew word is actually drew, I drew them with cords of a man with bonds of love. In other words, somehow, God's drawing, God's winsomeness, was of the type of love that we experience as people. I drew them with the cords of a man, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. You see the tenderness of God. You see His character. You see what is important to God in this whole process of holiness is understanding that He loves us in a in a, in a winsome and, 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 and a, a nurturing way. That is the important foundation of holiness. And that hunch is what draws us to Him. You see, we are drawn to God before we ever understand who He is. Before we ever... God is the Alpha and the Omega. Do you ever try and figure out how you got to God? Do you really think you got to God because you were smarter than everybody else? You really think you got to God because somehow you were educated and you knew more about Him than anybody? What, what you know about God does not matter at all and how close you come to Him. What matters is that God draws us before we ever really know about Him. Jesus said this, No man can come to me except the Father draw him. John 6, 44. And so before we ever understand what is drawing us, we are drawn to God. Now, how can that happen? How can it be without our understanding that we are somehow equipped for an entire relationship? Well, again, let's use another analogy. Let's use a human analogy. Um, let's use an analogy from cognitive neuroscience. How about that? All right? I read this week. I, I love this. I get One of the papers I get is the International Herald Tribune. And they had an article this week about cognitive neuroscience. This is, an, a, this is a, a research project done at the Center uh, for Research uh, uh, in Human Development and at Vanderbilt uh, Medical School. And, and what, they have, what they have discovered, what they have um, understood now that they had not understood before is this, that the foundations... All of the fundamentals for a person's reasoning power, for a person's problem-solving ability, for a, for a person's uh, uh, rational capability is laid and established before that person is, watch this, one year old. One year old, before they ever know the difference between an abstract idea and a pacifier. The single, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the single most um, reliable predictor of that person's future intellectual ability, future uh, accomplishments in school, and future 
social competence, the single most reliable predictor of that person's development is how many words were spoken to that baby by someone they loved every day when they were still not yet one year old. Now, I've got to remind you, it doesn't do any good to shove the kid in front of the TV set where words pour out. Doesn't do it. Doesn't do any good to give the, the kid a radio in his crib. Doesn't do it. But somehow, the words spoken to a child, even though he cannot comprehend them, even though she cannot possibly understand what they mean, the more words that are spoken by someone who loves that child to that child literally maps the brain for future understanding. And therefore, his or her capability is laid way beyond they have, way, be, way before they have the power for any kind of cognitive understanding. I want to tell you the same thing happens to you spiritually. How are we drawn to God? Somehow, through the conversations in our formative stages, maybe of other Christians, somehow through the whispering of the Holy Spirit, we are drawn to God before we ever understand who He really is and what He's really done for us. And when we would, if we were to rely on what he, would, we, we, he had done for us, who in the world would be drawn to Jesus Christ? Did you ever think of that? Why in the world would you be drawn to a Savior that got hung on a cross? Why in the world would any of us be drawn to somebody by, by all the world's standards who was an utter failure, got killed, and, 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 and was absolutely um, shamed in his death? There was nothing that was, that was long time attractive about that. When, when Eleanor sang the song about Bill, you know how, how she was expecting as a young girl to, to, to have this Greek god of a guy, you know, smart, statuesque. That's what everybody expects in a Messiah. That's what the Jews were looking for. Come on, let him come and conquer the world. And what we got was this little guy walking down dusty roads who finally got hung on a cross. But there is this attraction. You know, I know as saviors go, he's not a big deal. But there's some about me and there's some about him that are in absolute love. That's the drawing power of Christ. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says this, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. But yet, by the winsomeness of God, by the drawing power of his love, way beyond reason, that's exactly what happened. And every one of you that has Jesus Christ living in his or her heart didn't get there under their own power, but was drawn by God. There is an inexplicable surprise sometimes. Some of you were not at all looking for a relationship with God when He showed up. You, you were absolutely, I mean, the, the, the surprise that Lori sang about. Where did all this come from? How did I get chosen for this? This is an absolute surprise. How many of you were walking along and all of a sudden had a hunger in your heart just to know God? That's where that, my son, my oldest son, is a stockbroker or an investment 
whatever it is. I don't know what it is. He works with money and stuff. And uh, he, uh, uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, just graduated college, uh, works uh, at an investment brokerage there, and, and another person at his company is also a Taylor graduate. Taylor is a Christian school in Indiana. And, uh, and so they, you know, here's two Christian guys, you know, trying to live the, the business life as Christians. And several weeks ago, uh, a guy in their office, very, very sharp guy, who happens to be a Muslim guy, came and said, you know, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know about Christ. Now, Josh right away calls up and says, what do you know about Islam? Tell me, tell me everything you know about Islam. I said, Josh, you don't need to know about Islam. Don't focus on Islam. Focus on Christ. That's what you need to do. But you've got to ask yourself, why in the world would someone who was a lifelong Muslim even ask about Jesus Christ? There's nothing but trouble in that for him. And the answer is, God's drawn him. God's drawn him. And he gave him two Christian guys in the office who he watched for a while, and he saw their integrity, and he saw their love of Christ, and he just happened to use these two guys. Now, whether or not that transaction between them and Christ, uh, him and Christ was ever completed is not their business. Their business is just to continue to love God. That's their business. Just continue to be fascinated with God's grace in their lives. Now, that gets me to the third and last point of this message. It is not just God who draws us, but it is God who draws others, watch this, through us. Because you see, something wonderful happens to you. And that's why this is about, it's, 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 it's a sermon about stuff you need to know, not about stuff you need to do. God, as you love Him more and more, creates in you this winsomeness, this attraction, this this. this, this this thing beyond yourself that other people would be attracted to him. Now, by winsome, I don't just mean charming and witty and flirty and, and all of that kind of stuff. I, I, I believe that because I love God, there's something about me that other people will from time to time say, but there's something about that guy that isn't that guy, and I want to know what it is. But nobody's ever called me charming uh, or, or witty, or any of those other kind of light terms. There's, there's, a, there's a sense of otherness. There's a sense of power that grows up in your life that draws other people. And, and it doesn't take them very long to figure out it's not you. It's someone living inside you. And that's what you all need to know. Turn, if you have your scriptures, one more scripture, turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want to alert you today to what's happening to those of you who have, a, who have an on-fire relationship with Jesus Christ. It says this, but we all. Now, this ha he's writing to Christians here. And he includes everybody. This is not a specialty ministry. There are not some of you who are appointed to be whiz, whiz, winsome. There are not some of you who are appointed to be attractive. It says, we all, with unveiled face. Remember what happened 
when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple? That veil in the temple got, got torn in two, didn't it? So that everyone had the same access to God. And that's exactly what we have. We have an unveiled face. We have direct access to God. And as we look to Him, look at what it says. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. What do you have to do in order to be transformed? Nothing. He's doing it. He's doing it. Like it or not, He's doing it. We all are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory. The, 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 another translation reads, from one degree of glory to another. It's a progressive thing, thing just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now let me tell you the good that this does. And let me tell you one of the reasons that God does it. Not just to conform us to the image of Christ, although certainly that's what He wants to have happen. He wants us to mirror who Jesus Christ is. But He does this in order to provide hope for those who are still stranded without Christ. In order to provide some signal that, that what they need is here. There is a sonnet that Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote her husband, Robert, less than a year after they met and fell in love and were married. And the sonnet pictures her life without Robert. The, 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 the strain of, of, of missing him, even though she couldn't put her finger on it. And how he had been around all the time. And, and the sonnet goes like this. I'll, I'll, I'll just murder a few bars for you. It says, Beloved, my beloved, when I think that thou wast in the world a year ago, what time I sat alone here in the snow, seeing no footprint, hearing the silence sink, no mention at thy voice, but link by link went counting all my chains as if that so they never could fall off if struck a blow by thy potential hand. Atheists are as dull who cannot guess God's presence out of sight. In other words, she was saying, how could I have doubted the certainty of your existence by the agony of your absence? Because I hurt so much without you, I should have assumed that you were around. Do you know how many people living in the world live counting their chains every day? Link by link. This is everything that's wrong. This is everything that's holding me captive. My, my, my family doesn't love me. My job is rotten. My car is broken down. I have no money. So, so Link by link, they count their chains. And all the while, they're aching for the kind of love that you have found that lives in you. Don't be surprised as you continue to live in front of them, that they ask you, what's up? Be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. 
That's your only job this week. Pray with me. God, thank you that holiness is not about our behavior. That holiness is about you. Thank you that this is not a man-centered faith that we have, but a God-centered faith. And thank you that we can so experience the grace through Jesus Christ, the acceptance and the forgiveness, and we can be so transformed by simply turning our eyes to Him that You would make us the light of the world. Lord, help us not hide that light, but help us when we do good works to so do them that they see them and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.